Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. Stare boldly in its eyes and mimic the lines of its locks Turn it inside out, etch the veins and arteries, make bright the shadows. This program features the work of 2021 writer C.R. Glasgow. In the first half, you'll hear C's conversation with curator E.J. Coe. Welcome, C. Thank you for joining to chat about your work. Can you tell us about your Jack Straw project? Yeah, I'd be delighted to. I was really impacted by a number of passings in my family lineage, particularly many matriarchs passing. And in um, West Indian culture, the matriarchs are the ones who carry the stories, who carry the ritual. And with COVID, I began to be very aware of the risk our elders were under. And I wondered, what would the world be like without our elders? And how would we begin to access them? And so it was a part of my own journey of being in communication with my elders of my ancestry. And then I wondered, how would I offer this to others as a way to connect to their own? And being queer, being Black, being a first-generation being, um, being gender-fluid, all these intersectional identities, I realized there's not a lot of ritual or elder conversation around that. And so I wanted to create that, not only for my family, but also just for others who are curious about what the journey might be through an intersectional lens such as that. So very much a part of my ancestor and training work right now. And what attracted you to the Jack Straw Writers Program? And what do you hope to get out of the program? Sound drew me to it. Um, One of the things I was very shy about growing up is speaking. I never liked the sound of my own voice. And so I've had to grow into it. And since making my work on paper more accessible, I thought that what a way to really release my words with my voice. So it has a particular resonance that I now enjoy, um, and I really wanted to sculpt it. As I said, that is part of the art as well. And sound is also an area of curiosity for me. Um, When my mom was dying of Alzheimer's, sound was the faculty that seemed to bring her back to some agreed lucidity, if you will, And I thought that that was absolutely compelling. I wondered what was it about that medium and that faculty that seemed to penetrate something that seemed um, fatal, you know, and unresolvable. So there was there's something about that that I want to be in deeper study with. And this felt like a really great opportunity to be in study with that with my own voice um, as a conduit. That's amazing. It makes me think about the connection between music and memory the way listening to something inspires a a sort of recollection that might have not been there before, at least not at the very front 
of our minds? Do you feel like memory plays a role with sound here in your relationship? A hundred percent, yeah. And it creates a kind of time-space continuum that I try to illustrate in my writing as well, that it's a spontaneous landing into different times and different people's recollections of memories as well and perspective. So, yeah, I feel like that's the beginning of that springboard. When did you come across working with time in this way? I, I find it so extraordinary and something I think about when I think about your work. This is one of those situations where I feel like I'm working backwards and I don't feel that I am bound to just one construct of time anyway. Um, you know, I have within me island time. I have within me New York City time. I have a Midwest time. I have a time of dream and sleep. I have this waking time. I have a time of being in capitalism time. And so they all coexist at the same in the same sphere of existence, right, simultaneously. And I just find that compelling. And so I like to bring that in as, especially around the soma, especially around the body, when we, when I begin to talk about an experience of body, it seems like all the constructs have permission to coexist. And that's the time and the space, and that's why I say time-space, with which there can be connection and there can be, like I call them, portals so that we travel where... Um, you can use them as a way to speak to other stories and connect them to your own or to be in conversation with one another. Um, because I know that every culture has their own time-space continuum. And I think that living in this country has eroded some of that. Um, and there's tremendous beauty to that. And it's useful. Um, and so I really wanted to bring that in as part of me and how I see the world and how I move. What is the process like working with, you know, different modes and, and genres and or between those forms? I feel like I'm continually discovering. Poetry was my first medium, and it just feels so flexible. It feels like a river, you know, that can connect to any ocean kind of feel. And so I'm still learning you know, new forms and relearning them again. You know, I've forgotten them from college and they're resurfacing again. It just feels like how I feel my body moves. You know, there's a way that I never belonged to any social group. I was just a floater. It's it's kind of like that. It just can float in and float in and out of any form um, and be in conversation with any form. And there's something about that that feels important, you know, to be able to hold. And it's very, it's just water-like. I keep coming back to water, but it is very water-like to me in its, in its artistry. It, doesn't, it can hold any form or not at all. And um, there's something quite beautiful about that for me. Wow. It makes me wonder... Do you feel there's a relationship between writing and healing? Because I think of water and I think of healing too. Mm -hmm. It feels like the most accommodating witness to our experience. How generous to have a medium that just receives and it gives you 
infinite space to move and transform. It's abundant in its offering. And I work a lot with people who have chronic traumas and living in this world, so it's a difficult world at the moment. Like, There's a way with which they too are working with, you know, how do I make sense of, like, how do I bring forth all that I have experienced to be bared witness? When things are witnessed, they can be healed, they can be transformed. And so, you know, I, I like kind of insist on my clients, like, if I give them any writing assignment to to write it with a pen and a paper, they're like, can I type it? I'm like, no, 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 don't. Because it's <laughs> it's a movement of the body. It's like what is going on in the heart and mind is also being is being transmitted through the body. And so writing, you just don't know sometimes what will happen when the pen or the pencil hits the paper. You don't it's in the same way. You don't know what the body will remember, you know, and what it'll transform things into. Um, so I do think of it as a healing art for sure. So I was wondering what led you to writing? Sort of what inspired this particular project you have? I've been writing since I was five or six years old, so it just seemed to be what um, I'm an only child. (laughs) And so I think I needed a witness. And I don't know if I, I doubt that I knew it as such then, but I really needed a friend to bear witness to a lot of stuff that I was experiencing. And uh, my godmother was an English teacher at the time. And so she was my entry into literature and and kind of the world of story on paper. And so she encouraged my writing a lot. And even then, I really didn't, it was my way of communicating. I sometimes would not speak, but I can't keep this in my head and function in the day. This needs to land on paper. And so that's how it all started. Do you feel like you have to talk about certain subjects or certain things or, I mean, is that ever weigh on you sometimes? Mm. I don't feel it a burden, at least not right now, because I choose when to speak. I think I've been in a lot of spaces, and you know, well, especially graduate school, you know what it's like. It's just... There's a turn to you um, to to relay the story for for all peoples, you know, that you seem to represent. Um, and I find it kind of comical, you know. And so I just don't say anything. Um, it's my choice to speak, and and by by no means can I speak for all. So that's kind of what makes it feel less of a burden to me. But I do have a very strong feeling of injustice when I notice that people are not having the space to speak or why does it need to be said as such? Or in some ways, I don't think of it as as something separate from just speaking about my life. And so I'm here in this relative world at this particular place and time, and I'm just sharing perspective so I can share the perspective of through my own eyes of moving through the world. And then I get, and things get noticed and things get observed and I can highlight those things and Perhaps those reflect racism. Perhaps they reflect a lot of isms. Um, but it's actually just sharing a perspective 
and that's it. Um, race is important. There's no doubt about that. I speak about that all the time, as is gender. But sometimes I think that we can get so um, narrowed in speaking about these constructs that we don't actually speak about the humanity of the person. And so really, again, I kind of come back to that. I'm like, let's let's flush out the experience. Let's flush out the perspectives. But let's really center the humanity. And I trust that things get discussed and brought up there that like startle people. Um, and I've asked, been asked to explain, and I'm like, no, this is then it's not for you. Um, I want to be clear, um, but I'm not going to explain. Um, and it's a delicate balance, you know, for being clear and then also explaining, right? And so I'm also listening for that in my work and and how I name my work or talk about it or don't, you know. I'm so interested in what you speak to when you say seeing one's role as living ancestor. And I want to thank you for that and also ask if you might talk more about it. For me, I feel like I'm a part of the middle generation. With the advent of technology particularly, I feel that the art of storytelling, the art of slowing down, the art of telling story through the mundane part of our world is something that's a little bit archaic and maybe we're coming back to it but that's how I spent the formative parts of my life where you would just follow an elder around and do mundane things and my mom is from Trinidad so they would all kind of in this sing song like twang give some philosophical metaphor of like no more than seven words that was like profound about how to live your life and what you were doing and so I feel like I harvest that. And then I'm the age of technology as well, where I'm still spellbound by how quickly a story can fly across the world. And I think that there is a marriage that needs to happen between both of them and an appreciation and, and more time actually and space spent with both of them. Um, and something just turned at a certain point in my development, you know, the last seven years or so where I had a you know, life-threatening disease, came back from it and kind of once again saw the other side and said, oh, there's still messages to be delivered and oh, I'm concerned with the way the world is going and oh, how do we communicate that to you know, create a proliferation and a reconnection with what we've lost touch with? And so I said, oh, I think that that's, <laughs> that's my charge right now. Um, I don't know what that will look like I never thought it would be through my writing, but it seems like that has become um, one of the ways. And so, yeah, I feel that I am in deep connection and spent a lot of my time listening to my ancestors and the ancestors of the land, and I just received message, and I hope that I can be conduit and translator for others. Now we'll hear a selection from C's live reading. Be like tomato. Poison the wealthy. Nourishment for the poor. Travel by wind. Create your own seed. Without suitor or dowry. Alone by the sun of midday. Be like amaranth, 
the ones that do not wither for 40 days on its own substance, 40 days kissing the clouds, scorched by the sun, burn bright in gold, purple, and red. Offer yourself to the gods. The second comes from a series um, called Inner Child Dialogues. Um, the title of this poem is sourced from um, a list of questions that came at the end of Crick Crack by Edwige Danticat. Um, and this one is titled, If We Were Painters, Which Landscapes Would We Paint? Spaciousness. Rolled on blue-black canvas, so your mark is always light. Have your palette full, hues of nature as guide and silence. Risk the stroke without guide of pencil, image, or conjurer of another. This is yours. Stare boldly in its eyes and mimic the lines of its locks. Turn it inside out. Etch the veins and arteries. Make bright the shadows. Let the paint find patterns on your face. Allow what arises first to be enough. For inhale and exhale, inhale and exhale, laugh at your reflection and bring that to the canvas. Rinse each experience fully from the brush. Start a do. There's no mistake, no way. Stroke over and over the same spot till it is blue-black. Trust you will know when to pause, when to highlight, to highlight, to highlight, to high light. Know you can paint across time. If you listen, all our mothers sing on tune, vibrating the brush. And my last piece for this evening is um, in dedication to the lineage of women who have raised me. Um, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I may start crying. <laughs> um, Granny's four. Granny sails alone, a teen by boat. Legs spread for her by some unwanted, familiar old darkness eclipse. A veiled birth, seeing realms beyond. 
child of the pandemic. She said, just one photo. Sumo size, little man with violet eyes. A quick last snap. Flash. Followed by a quick snip. Child gone too soon. Another followed. Auntie's breath gasped. Months of adolescence encased in sterile white walls shining against her crimson highlight. Child of the institution. The world powers feuded a second time. Ration cards, sacks filled to the brim once. And Auntie's eyes beamed joys of deflated balloon and noisemaker. Child of war. She thought that was her last. <laughs> the mom tottered in. Pistol and machete, greased brown bag rolled in two-year-old fists, abandoned, shadow child. Thank you so much for your time. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production, produced by Alyssa Keene and Daniel Gunther at Jack Straw Cultural Center. Our recording engineers are Daniel Gunther, Joel Maddox, and Ayesha Ubiatilaka. Our theme music is by Andrew Weathers, produced in part through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The 2021 curator of this program is E.J. Ko, and the narrator for this podcast is Alyssa Keene. The Jack Straw Writers Program was inspired by an over-the-back fence conversation in 1996 between author Rebecca Brown and Jack Straw Executive Director Joan Rabinowitz. The program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, Humanities Washington, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Rainier Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. Special thanks to Michael Folks and Cecilia Ayers for transcribing our writers' interviews. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology. You can subscribe to this and other Jack Straw podcasts through your favorite podcast app. To hear more episodes and learn about our other programs, visit us at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.